With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, Chelsea. Hi, Christina. How's it going? It's going pretty good. How about you? I'm all right. Yeah. Um, finishing up my school stuff. I know. I'm so excited for you. I'm like really stoked that you you had your last day of of class last week. I know. That's so exciting. And I had my final on Saturday. And now I just have to write a report and do one more assignment. And I'm done. And you, you dressed, uh, they told you to dress business casual. You dressed yes. business extra. I've never been casual about anything in my life, Chelsea. No. I know. I know. I love that photo of you. It's just like hot damn. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. I expect you to dress like that in all, in all aspects of your professional life. To be business I plan extra. To. I yes. plan to. That's just how I roll. Yeah. Business extra or GTFO. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, but how was how has your life been? Uh it's been all right. It's been really quiet. I haven't had any work. That's because okay. it's March. Yeah. <laughs> that happened. Uh, yeah. Welcome, listeners, to Cold Cryptids and Conspiracies, the podcast where we talk about business extra and unemployment. Yay. Fun employment. Fun employment. <laughs> Bless you. Thank you. That's the other thing. Oh, I have Mal's gonna hate this. He's gonna cut this if he can. So last week, okay, um, we're gonna make it so that it can't cut this. Yep, by referencing it throughout the podcast. <laughs> so last week, Mal was feeling like really sick, mm-hmm. and so I was, you know, slightly worried because I have an anxiety disorder and it does that. So he was getting up to go to work and he was still feeling really sick. I'm like, you know what? Call out of work. We'll go to the doctor. We'll see what's up. Because, like, the flu's been really bad this year, so that's, like, a, a an anxiety thing, you know? It's like, oh, shit, like, you're going to die. Obviously not, but, you know, that's where my brain goes. That's why WebMD is not my friend, because everything is cancer. But anyway. Yeah, no. <laughs> so we managed to get, a, like, an early-ish appointment with the doctor, and we went in, and he's telling the doctor, like, yeah, here are my symptoms, and, like, I was helping him out, like, helping him remember. And the doctor just goes, yeah, you have allergies. I remember, yep, I remember hearing about this. Yep, it was literally like, he was like, well, I'll, I have this and this and this. He goes, yeah, is this your, se-? she literally just looks at him and goes, yeah, is this your second spring here in the Bay Area? And he goes, uh, yeah. And she's like, yeah, you have allergies. <laughs> and I'm like, poor boy. Oh, yeah, that's a thing. So he's yep. he just felt really dumb because like he called out of work and I'm like, look, allergies fucking suck. Like I've called out of work because my allergies have been really bad and like I knew they were allergies. Yeah. No, when I was in North Carolina, I had allergies to, like, literally everything. So yeah. every every blooming season, I would suffer. Yeah. Like, it was fucking awful. So that so now he has to, it's like, oh, it's a good thing you're dating me since I have, I'm allergic to, like, everything. And I have so many different kinds of allergy pills. He got to take pseudofedrin, a.k.a. meth, which he was really stoked about because he's like, it's like I'm coming full circle back to Fresno. Um, which if for listeners who are not from California, Fresno is like the meth capital of the world. <laughs> oh my god! And so yeah, but he didn't have to take the pseudofedrin for very long, and now he's just on like a daily pill that's not pseudofedrin. Well, that's good. 
Yeah, I fucking hate pseudoephedrine when I was on it. Like, I try my best to not have to take it because I don't know if you if you had to take it when you were in North Carolina. Nope. Um, But for me, it like, first of all, it makes me like anxious because it's like basically having like three cups of coffee. Uh, But then it also saps my appetite, which I hate. Like, I, I just can't get hungry when I'm on it. That's unfortunate. Yeah, I just really dislike. I really dislike it. I mean, it is it is meth. So. Think about what happens with meth and, like, just dial that back about 20 times, and that's pseudoephedrine. So, also, in Cold Scripted Conspiracies, we talk about prescription allergy medication. Um, and drugs. <laughs> and drugs. But, I mean, same thing. But uh, <laughs> what we actually talk about is Cold Scripted Conspiracies, weird, strange phenomenon, um, mysterious disappearances, bizarre happenings, cursed items, sometimes flat earth. You know, yeah. Lots well, that's stuff. a conspiracy. Lots before conspiracy. before we get started, uh, none of our listeners have sent this to us, but all of my friends and family have sent this to me. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if you've heard about it. What uh, the the poop cult? Excuse me. Yes. So it's not actually like a poop cult, but it's literally like it's one of those things where this woman's like, if you drink this every day, then all illnesses will be. Uh, cured, including like you can reglow limbs and your cancer will be cured, and blah blah blah. And it's like just just what? this like really gross fermented cabbage juice, and okay. it's called the poops cult. The poop cult because literally like the fermented cabbage juice just gives them like horrible diarrhea, uh, and they like will post pictures of their poop on their site to each other to show off like all the parasites that quote unquote parasites that they're uh, re- relieving from their body. What the yeah, so I wanted to let you guys know I am aware. Uh, I don't, I don't want, I didn't want to do that this week. I had a completely different plan already, so I was like, yeah, that, I don't have time to to re research something, and I'm really stoked about the topic I'm doing this week. So, I think I just have to do like a part two of like health and fitness cults, uh, and talk about all of the like weird, like lenses and stuff. Lenses like that and are stuff. Definitely yeah. something that we should talk about because none of them are scientifically proven. None of them are scientifically All proven, and a lot BS. of them, and a lot yeah. of them have cult-like mentalities. Like literally, the the article everyone references and sends to me, which I did read, is from BuzzFeed. Which, by the way, everyone rags on BuzzFeed, but like their fucking news section, those people are fucking great, actually. Like the BuzzFeed news section of their site is actually really well researched and like really interesting. Shout out to BuzzFeed. Yeah. But anyway, the woman who, like, started the quote-unquote poop cult, like, had her fucking followers go and spam the comment section of this BuzzFeed article. So I was reading the comment section, and holy shit. Like, it's definitely, it's a it's still a cult-like mentality. Dang. Before we, I was gonna, I was unaware we were going straight to poop cult because I was gonna plug, we did a collaboration. We did do a collab, well, I just want, I wanted we to did. mention it. No, I know, but it's it, sort of like... it does like, kind of segue into, into our collaboration. Sort in, of, in but way, like... Because it was about cult. Yeah. Uh, if you want to learn more about cult psychology and mentality of cults and how cult leaders get people to come into their organization, I guess you could say, and how to, and how they get them to stay there, you can listen to us um, talk over ourselves and our lovely hosts <laughs> Yeah, sorry on, about that. Uh, Sorry about that, guys. On the podcast, trust me, I'm a therapist. I think we just get too excited talking about this kind of stuff. We do. I can hear because it's uh, it's these two guys, Justin and Herman. They're um, they're literal like professional yeah. therapists. 
and I can hear Justin trying to interject it multiple times during the podcast, and we just keep going. Yeah, sorry we about that. We cannot be stopped. When it, com- when it comes to that kind of stuff, yeah, we definitely can't be stopped. Yeah, but um, I thought it was a pretty good pretty good conversation. It so, was fun. Um, it was fun to do, and, and so hopefully- if you're interested in, in that, feel free to give it a listen. Yeah, and hopefully we'll have them on our podcast at some point. Although they are yeah. actual professional like therapist people, so listen, actual professional therapist people can know about weird stuff. I'm not saying they can't. I'm just saying they're probably really busy. Oh, that's true. That's fair. <laughs> but we would still love to have them on guesting but on yes. our podcast. Yes, we would. Uh, so that's trust me. I'm a therapist podcast. It's everywhere. One yeah. Assumes. Um, and they're also on Twitter at Trust Therapist. Yeah, and a bunch of our. It's really fun because a bunch of our friends and family have already listened to it and they keep telling us, like, it's so cool to hear us on another guesting on another podcast. So, which yeah. is the second time it's happened, but the first time it was just you because I had no yes. voice. You were ill and yes. you're yeah. ill again. I'm not ill. I just have allergies. Is that it's, not the same? Eh, it's not because, like, I can still get up and do things and I'm not like contagious or anything, but it's just like, I don't know. It's been bad because it's been really bad this season because it's literally just been raining and when it hasn't been raining it's been really sunny and that makes allergies literally the worst i'm sorry for you it's all right it happens i live in the bay area it happens so we got an email that's not quite uh an end of an end of podcast email yes it's a we shout have some out correspondence yeah we have some correspondence yes. and then we have some corrections as well yes which one would you, would you want to do correspondence or corrections first i think we usually do corrections first we do. So I have a correction that we posted on the Twitter from our, our lovely producer slash my boyfriend, Mal. We were asking what a galley is. And apparently, so a lot of people actually like texted us to tell us that a galley is the kitchen of a ship. But Mal had the actual answer, which was great. Because I, get, uh, my, my, I have another friend who texted me the same thing as well. Yeah. Yeah. The, the actual answer. Yeah. So a galley is the kitchen of a ship. That's how it's referred to now. Which actually is something Mal didn't know, which is hilarious. He's like, really? But a galley is also when you're when you were sentenced to the galley, you were literally like shackled to an oar of a ship to help row it. Yeah. You were essentially a rowing slave on a ship. Yeah. So I mean, I guess people pay to get their cardio workout done for that now, but back then it used to be a punishment. <laughs> It's a punishment if you can't choose to stop. That's true. So, and somehow it became the name of the kitchen. I don't, I, maybe like some people were like slaves in the in the kitchen as well. And that's how that name also transferred over to there. But being sent to the galley was literally being sent to, I guess, being a slave on a ship. Which uh, France used to do a lot, apparently. Yeah. Well, we only, I think it was, we only had like five people out of so many people that were arrested that were sent to the galley. Yeah, most of them were either just, like, imprisoned for life or straight up killed. Yeah. And also, we asked why they also, like, beheaded and then burned. And our Catholic friend, uh, Kate, hi, Kate, who has been on this podcast before, told us that because if your body was burned, then it couldn't be raptured. So it was it was literally, to them, like killing someone twice. You can't be raptured. Yeah. <sighs> Which is why Catholics have those really creepy open casket funerals. We don't. So that they can be raptured. My Irish Catholic family doesn't do that. My Irish Catholic family just fucking uh, doesn't care about the rapture because they all get cremated. <laughs> uh, additionally, we got another uh, man there in mass correction that we got it backwards. 
it is fraternal twins that run the family. Identical twins are random. Yeah, that's so weird to me. I thought I literally thought it was the other way around. Same, but like this person sent uh, Andrew on Facebook sent in a correction, and I looked it up after, and he's totally right. It's I know, yeah, it's complete fraternal just, twins that run the family. That's just so weird. But um, so, so but, in that case, if the twins do run in the royal family's family, then it wouldn't make sense for them to lock up a fraternal twin. Yeah, that's a little weird. Well, I mean, no, I mean, because it's still the, the birth order is still the same because that was the main sticking point. Yes, but why would they make them wear a mask? I mean, fraternal twins can still look a lot alike. Like, our friends, uh, Jen and Daniel, are super, super, like, similar, and they're fraternal twins. Yeah, but it's the same thing of, like, you could just say, like, oh, this is the illegitimate brother of the king. That's true. I don't know. I mean, there could have been, like, super ultra-religious reasons for it that are stupid. Because that seems to be the uh, answer to everything that France does. Uh, Speaking of super ultra-religious stupid reasons, um, I got a... Uh, affair of the poisons correction from Kate again, which yeah. led to a very long. Oh, that argument was fun. That was fun because she. I was, got to just watch this argument happen. She was saying that popes can't get married and have never been married, and I was saying no, popes definitely can and have been married. The argument spun out from there. Um, but again, Kate I, is Catholic and was and actually went to Catholic school for a period of time. Yes. So so she was she was very confident in saying that the pope cannot be married and never has been married and I was very confident that yes popes have indeed been married and it turns out that I was right the pope popes in the past have been married but pope innocent they, was not pope innocent the 10th was not married yeah um uh olympia i'm not going to try and say her last name again was his sister-in-law because it was his brother's wife yeah. not his wife's sister yeah and then uh i think we i think during the argument like I guess it makes sense that they would still teach in like Catholic school and in church that popes never were able to get married and have never been able to get married. But we looked it up and the last pope that was married was in the 1200s. It was in the late 1200s. Yeah. The 13th century. Yeah. So So. by the time Pope Innocent was pope, no, no popes were married. Popes hadn't been married for a long time. But there was a time when you could be both a pope and married at the same time. Yes. And a lot of popes were widowers, too. That's a fun thing. Uh, and then the last uh, correction. The last, I don't know if this is what you were going to talk about, but the last thing, it's not necessarily a correction. Probably not then. But the the movie, The Man in the Iron Mask, yes. turns out it is based on that Three Musketeers book. Yeah. It like totally, Do you not and that? I didn't realize that, no. Oh, okay. so, yes. What was really kind of funny is then I had Mal and Corinne, and I think one other person tell me like that's their like the book that they loved so much as a kid. And they had read it so many times. So, like, I had all these people coming to me like, yeah, this book is so great. Like, thanks for talking about uh, the actual, like, history behind it and blah, blah, blah. So that was, that was kind of fun. That's nice. But, yeah, so the – and I guess it, Mal described it – or it was Mal or Corinne, someone, someone who was talking to me about it described it as, like, the movie itself, The Man in the Iron Mask. Like, Leonardo DiCaprio was the only one taking it seriously. And everyone else was just like, this is a fucking Three Musketeers movie. Let's just have fun. <laughs> Leo takes everything seriously at all times. He does, yeah. Yes. Um, but the the correction I was going to talk about was from at Robert Fisher on Twitter, who talks about simony. Oh, which right. Was yes. Selling selling positions in the church. It is pronounced simony mm-hmm. because it is named after Simon Magus, who wanted to buy the gifts of the Holy Spirit in Acts, 
Kyoki goes on to say, it's clearly and explicitly evil, but also super common in the church's history. Okay, yeah. So, like, selling positions of power in the church to people who were rich just so that they could be spiritual. Yep. That's, Super common. I feel like still a thing that happens today in a, in a Probably sense. Probably not officially. Not officially, but I yeah. like in evangelical Christian circles, definitely. Because it's like if you donate more to the church, this, the mega church that you are a part of, then you are more spiritual or whatever the fuck. I would not be surprised. I mean, it is definitely a thing. Like, I remember John Oliver had a whole thing on it. Mm-hmm. Which is great. Maybe we'll talk about that at some point. When we do our whole, like, uh, fuck everyone, we're going to get death threats podcast where we also talk about Scientology. <laughs> where we find, where you finally talk about Scientology instead of talking yes. around Scientology. Well, I my dad works. I have to get him on the podcast when we do that one. As for correspondence, we got a lovely email from a listener named Monica who uh, said, I travel a lot for work and basically live in my car binging on your podcasts. Nothing has made me laugh harder than your discussion of the time cube. Yes. Oh, my God. That was <laughs> fucking hilarious. Time cube is ridiculous. Uh, oh, says, my God. She says, thank you for making my turnpike drive through cornfields highly entertaining today. Monica, thank you for sending that email. That was very sweet, and it brightens our day to hear it. It does. It brightens our day to hear any of you guys tell us how wonderful we are. You guys keep... Uh, leaving us reviews on on Facebook. Don't laugh. You guys keep reviewing, leaving us reviews on Facebook, and we really appreciate it. Thank you so we much. We super do. Yeah. No, it's it's, it's really amazing super that you guys sweet of do you guys. That. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With I think that's it for corrections and correspondence. Yeah. We yeah. almost themed, and then didn't, yeah. and then you dropped the theme that you were going to have, and are doing something else. So now we may have accidentally almost themed again, but we don't know yet. We are uncertain. Um, I because we now Mal, our Chelsea's boyfriend, our new yes. producer, is the keeper of the topics. He's yes. the one who ensures we do not do the same thing, so that we can go into this still with fresh eyes and ears into each other's stories. When I told Mal about my story, I was told that there was an element in it that it turned out there was not. Yeah. So he was under the impression that it was about something different than it actually is. Yes. So, and then I almost did something along that same theme and then decided I didn't want to, I almost did Holocaust denial and I didn't want to depress myself. So. That's fair. I didn't. (laughs) And you're going first this week, right? No, it's an odd number. You're going first. I'm going first. All right. Then I can just get into it then. Yeah. Get right into your thing that apparently does not have Nazis. It doesn't have Nazis. When yeah. I first looked into it, I was I was told it was Nazis behind it, that Nazis were the one who were who was doing everything. And apparently as I looked further into it, I found no Nazis. I mean, at least not in the original form. I'm sure people have folded Nazis into it somewhere. Right. But uh the the original pure source is Nazi list. So we almost did a Nazi slash World War II themed podcast, but we didn't. We didn't. At all. No. So I'm very curious as to what you're going to talk about and if it accidentally does theme into my my thing. We'll find out. So what I'm doing, and I teased it a couple of episodes ago, is Project Blue Beam. Oh, yeah. Okay. It doesn't theme with mine at all, but awesome. You're not. Don't say that just yet. I'm pretty sure, but go on. So from Rational Wiki. Quote, Project Bluebeam is a conspiracy theory that claims NASA is attempting to implement a new age religion 
with the Antichrist at its head and start a new world order. Okay, never mind. It totally themes with mine. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Via a technologically stimulated second coming. Oh, God. Project Bluebeam is a conspiracy theory. Oh, I accidentally pasted it twice. Was going to say it again. That makes so much sense. So, yeah. Basically, NASA is trying to make a fake second coming of Christ to convince everybody to switch over to a new age religion that will make them more susceptible to the inevitable new world order that NASA and the UN are conspiring to form. Okay, I can't wait to talk about my thing and about how it themes together because it's fucking (laughs) hilarious. So let's get back. Let's go back in time to the source of this craziness. A Canadian man named Sergei Monast is the source of this theory. He was originally a journalist and poet, but at some time in the early 90s, he went deep down the rabbit hole and got all up on the New Age, the New World Order conspiracy. Um, New World Order is, if you've never heard the term, the idea that there is a secret worldwide shadow government that is actually running the place and that freedom is illusion and our lives are a lie and yada, yada, yada. It is also, and Mal, get ready for this, a dog whistle for anti-Semitism. <laughs> yep. Hey! Um, yeah, so Sergei also uh, started warning about this, the whole New World Order thing he perceived that was going to happen in what was basically his zine. Okay. He made a zine because it's the 90s. So Yeah, like, that's what you do. It's what you do. Um, it was a publication called the International Free Press Agency, but in French, which I'm not going to say. Right. Um, we butchered the French language enough last week. Enough. La- there was enough of that last week. This this week's going to be mostly English if I can help it. Yeah, I think we broke uh, Savannah. I actually asked her if she wanted a guest on the podcast to correct us, and she goes, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, so Sergei was French-Canadian, so a lot of the original sources are in French, but I have found, apparently, translations in English. Oh, that's good. Yes. So in 1994, Sergei published a book called Project Bluebeam, in parentheses, NASA, where he claimed that NASA, backed by the UN, was trying to form a new world order. To do so, they would use technology to form a new religious movement, worshipping the Antichrist, and basically summon the second coming of the Messiah. To do this, NASA has a four-step program. Of course, you got to have that shit organized, you know? You got to have your plan on lock. You got to get your steps. You got to have everybody coordinated. Listen, it's important for project management. It is. It's very important. And I'm glad NASA, uh, even in their uh, darkest times, in their, in their deepest conspiracies, know that that is important. Yeah. Um, the first step is something that you will like, Chelsea, hmm. or at least something that you will find interesting. Oh, joy. NASA is going to use some sort of technology to trigger earthquakes at certain key locations around the globe and then fake archaeological discoveries at these places. All right, sure. Does it say what places? Um, No, it's just key locations around the Earth. Okay. So one assumes that to mean locations of religious significance, I assume? I guess that's how they're writing off the earthquakes that happened in... um. Nouns are escaping me today, but the ones that happened recently in the last few years, the big yeah. ones, you know what I mean? But, the ones yes. in South Asia, I believe. Yes. Yeah. There was like some huge ones in Nepal. And Nepal. That's what I was trying to remember. Yeah. Like, what the fuck is the name of that place? Yeah. Nepal. 
so the idea behind this is that it will disprove certain fundamental beliefs of Abrahamic religions and will cause people to flee those religions en masse. Alrighty. This is so, like the opposite of the flat earth conspiracy. Yes. Uh, so now, considering there may be a link to fracking and tectonic activity, the NASA has an earthquake machine thing is not completely scientifically stupid. No, but although NASA is not responsible for fracking, and I think... No. Like, most But I mean, the, if like, they're part of the New World Order. Well, yeah. As a government agency, they can't necessarily take a stance on stuff like that, but I think individually, those the people at the scientists at NASA are very much against fracking. I would not be surprised if that's yeah. the case, yes. But the so going forward, the idea that any amount of proof, real or fake, would cause people to abandon their religion as a whole is kind of dumb. Yeah. Because there are literally people who claim the Earth is only 4,000 years old and that dinosaur bones were put into the ground by God to test us. Yeah, and unfortunately, a lot of those people are elected officials. Yeah. So, like, like, I don't think that faking an earthquake and then planting evidence that, like, God's not real is going to make people think God's not real. They're going to make people think that the evidence was planted. I do have a, an instant correction. It's not 4,000, it's 6,000. Oh, I, is it? Yeah, I don't know why I know that, but it, that's a number that I, I know. It's 6,000 years old, not 4,000. I don't know so why. Much older I know. I don't know why 6,000. There was like a religious reason for it, and I don't fucking know what it is. Um, so Sergey published this whole breakdown of the plan in his manifesto, um, which, like I said, is originally published in French and is no longer in print. However, there is a website that claims to have the whole thing there translated into English. So I will now quote from that website. How helpful. The falsification of this information will be used to make all nations believe that their religious doctrines have been misunderstood for centuries and misinterpreted. Psychological preparations for the first step have already been implemented with the film 2001 A Space Odyssey, the Star Trek series, and Independence Day all of which deal with invasions from space and the coming together of all nations to repel the invaders. The last film's Jurassic Park deals with the theories of evolution and claims God's words are lies. Alrighty. Yep. So films are being used to indoctrinate us into New World Order belief. Uh, you know, generally something that, yes, uh, crazy people believe. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's step one. Okay. Earthquakes, faked, faked archaeological stuff right okay step two of project blue beam is where i think the blue beam comes in yeah because so far I don't, nothing's blue or beam no like. no beams but here, i think this is where it comes in um it is in essence a plan to use lasers all over the world to project an image of god into the sky Alrighty. and by god i mean whatever god is most prevalent in the area the image is being projected over so like god or yahweh or allah or what have you. I mean, all, all those are the same. Yeah, but people have different ideas of what that God looks like. That's true. Well, people have different ideas based on what they look like. Because it's like, yes. in, uh, it's like how in America we have white Jesus, which is real yes. fucking weird. Yes. Because he should be, he should be like. At least like, brown. Yeah, he should, there, he should be brown. Probably black, at least brown. Yes. Um, so I'm certain how this plan. I'm uncertain how this plan works with like polytheistic religions, like Hinduism and Shinto. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess Hinduism. I mean, in Hinduism, technically they're all Brahmin, but that's not going to fly with everyone everywhere. Yeah. So after appearing, also aren't there like a fuck ton of religions in like? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
well, I mean, yeah, in general, but also like there's like certain areas where there's just like a fuck ton. Yeah. Are they going to project just... L. Ron Hubbard into the sky? Like, I I don't know, my friend. Um, After appearing, the godheads will talk to their people about whatever. I couldn't find specifically what they're supposed to say. And then they will all merge together to form one big new head in the sky, representing the new god, the Antichrist. Alrighty. The idea here seems to be that people will believe a laser projection of a face in the sky is their god actually speaking to them, and that the appearance of the Antichrist in the sky will cause more mass religious upheaval. Yeah, your face, your face kind of, Chelsea's got like the neutral face of utter confusion going on right now. It's like, it's like they're hoping for a purge situation, like what? I I can, can, listen. (laughs) Um. The laser light show is going to be projected onto the sodium layer of the atmosphere, which is a real thing. Uh, It is a layer of neutral sodium atoms about 50 to 65 miles above sea level. These atoms can be excited with light. That's the reason that the sky is never 100% black at night because of diffused light in the sodium layer. Mm -hmm. But they glow yellow, not blue. So I am still confused. Where is the blue coming from? The ocean? Maybe. I don't know. We just don't know. We just don't know. So apparently UFO sightings are actually just tests that NASA have done with their projection machines on the sodium layer. And people claiming to have been abducted by aliens are actually test subjects of NASA's super cool tractor beam they've been developing so they can fake the rapture. Is this um people that were freaking out about the, the SpaceX test in LA? Like the same people? Probably. Yeah. I would not be surprised. Yeah. Also, there's a Soviet supercomputer somehow involved. Because why not? You got to have all the uh, worldwide superpowers involved gotta somehow. Get them, gotta get them in somehow or another. Yeah, Putin's definitely involved somehow. <laughs> uh, another quote. The Soviets have perfected an advanced computer, even exported them, and fed them with the minute psych physio-psychological particulars based on their studies of the anatomy and electromechanical composition of the human body and the studies of the electrical, chemical, and biological properties of the human brain. These computers were fed as well with the languages of all human cultures and their meanings. The dialects of all cultures have been fed into the computers from satellite transmissions. The Soviets began to feed the computers with objective programs like the ones of the new messiah. It also seems that the Soviets, the New World Order people, have resorted to to suicidal methods with the human society by allocating electronic wavelengths for every person and every society and culture to induce suicidal thoughts if the person doesn't comply with the dictates of the New World Order. That's a quote from the manifesto. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm just, just like taking this in. This computer is supposedly going to coordinate these lifelike holograms that are floating above literally every populated place on the planet and speaking literally every language to fool people into thinking they've been getting religion wrong all this time and that the antichrist is the one true god there's like 50 languages in china alone yeah 400 languages are commonly spoken in london england like what i don't know how this is gonna happen like computers these days can't do that and i don't know because it keeps saying like they fed this supercomputer with all this information about the human body and dialects from all over the world. I'm like, okay, you've given this information to what? What are you telling it? 
My Alexa. I said computer, so my Alexa woke up. Um, <laughs> Your Alexa's like, the fuck are you talking about? My Alexa's like, I can't do that. I'm so sorry. I know you can't do it because no computer can do it. Yeah. And if they can, then my, my engineering teachers have been lying to me. Yeah. Although, did you see the article this week that it's like Alexa has uh, reached, what's what's the term when the uh, human intelligence level? What's, what's um, the fucking... There- well, there is a thing called singularity. Yeah, singularity is what I'm thinking. Okay. Of. Uh, Alexas have reached singularity, and apparently this stems from the fact that they were randomly laughing. That was that was a bug. Yeah, I know. I know. But I think that it's really funny bu- that people are like, uh, Alexas have reached singularity. I'm like, my Alexa is not that smart. No. Because I've tried. I've tried to get it to do things for me, and it just like, sometimes it'll just blue light at me in, in a look of basic confusion. Like, that's the Alexa confusion look. It's just the blue light, like. Maybe that's the blue beam. Maybe, yeah. The Alexa blue light is the blue beam. Dude, we're cracking the mystery. We're cracking the code. So here's another quote from the manifesto. I'm chock full of them because it's amazing. Okay. Uh, Naturally, this superbly staged falsification will result in dissolved social and religious disorder in a grand scale. Each nation blaming the other for the deception, setting loose millions of programmed religious fanatics through demonic possession on a scale never witnessed before. In addition, this event will occur at a time of profound worldwide political anarchy and generate tumult created by some worldwide catastrophe. Okay, so if this is all supposedly some kind of scientific shit, how are they scientifically demon-possessing people? I don't know. It doesn't elaborate on that? No, it it just drops religious fanatics program through demonic possession just drops it in the middle of the manifesto with no explanation. I do not know. All right. I I have so many questions. Same. That will be left unanswered. There, No, there are no answers. I cannot yeah. answer you. I'm really sad about that. Step three of Project Blue, Bame, Blue Beam is that to really hit the this is your God now point home, NASA is going to use ultra-low frequency radiation to make people think the Antichrist is talking to them inside their minds. The proof that this is possible is apparently inside a paper published during a University of Arizona conference called the NATO Advanced Research Workshop on Current and Emergent Phenomena and Biomolecular Systems. There's just so much. That's a real conference that happened in 1991. Okay. And I found the real paper he's referencing. Oh, God. Okay. It's called The Effects of Gigahertz Radiation on the Human Nervous System, Recent Developments in the Technology of Political Control. Uh, This was a published, like... Yeah, somebody peer-reviewed this. I don't don't understand, but I read it last night at like 2 in the morning. Of course you did. Yeah, it was it was published in January of 1991 by a guy named Harland E. Gerard. Or is he Gerard, still alive? Sure. I, no, he died in 2015. Oh, okay. Um, let me just read you a section of Harland's about the author. Please, please do. Mr. Gerard is flattered to have been made a peer of J. Robert Oppenheimer, despite the fact that he has never applied for a security clearance from the Department of Defense or held a job which required one. On the other hand, since 1983, he has been an involuntary human subject in medical experiments commissioned by the Central Intelligence Agency, which has, of course, made him privy to a great deal of highly classified and extremely sensitive information. This is a fucking peer-reviewed published paper. Yeah. Like, this guy's fucking got tinfoil on his head, and he's publishing scientific papers. 
so Julius Robert Oppenheimer, the dude referenced. Yeah, I know. Is, well, okay, yeah, you can explain who he is. I was like, yes. I know who he is, but it's like, oh, right, we have other people listening. Not everybody does, yeah. yeah. He worked on the Manhattan Project and is one of the dudes largely responsible for creating the atomic bomb. Yes. People may recognize him as the guy from the documentary about dropping the atomic bomb who quotes the Bhagavad Gita, uh, now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. Yeah, and he regretted his work later yes, in life. largely. He regretted, he, like... He super was like, this was a mistake. Yeah, I mean, I think we can all kind of agree together that creating nuclear weapons was a mistake. Atomic weapons were a mistake. Dropping them on Japan was a mistake. There was yeah. no need to do it. No, absolutely not. Yeah. So Oppenheimer's... The fact that Japan doesn't still hate us is a fucking miracle. I'm super surprised they don't hate us because yeah. I think I would hate us. I think, yeah. I it's kind like, of do hate World us War II is not it. that long ago. There are people still yeah. alive who survived World War II. Like, how do they not fucking hate us? There are people still us? alive who remember, like, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Yeah, there are people alive who are suffering from radiation... From the bomb drops, like it's today, bananas, and they they don't fucking hate us. Like how Do I would not. hate us. Same. Um. So Oppenheimer's FBI file is apparently sealed because of government secrets and national security stuff. And Harlan E. Gerard is claiming that he too has an FBI file, and it's also sealed for the same reason. Sure. Which is why he's like, I'm so happy to be able to appear. Blah 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 blah. Because the FBI sealed both of our files. Right. Of course. Because apparently he knows too much. Right. That's why. He definitely knows. Super knows too much. Sergey quotes extensively from the abstract of this paper, which I suggest anyone who wants to swan dive into the mind of a paranoid economist read. And I say... You gotta be in the right frame of mind to do that, though. You'd super do. Yeah, you gotta get yourself, like, like, maybe take a bath, have a bath bomb, put on some fun music. Have several coloring books out in front of you. Yeah. Or knitting, whatever you need. Read this paper about gigahertz radiation on the human mind. Yep. Which is, again, I say it's written by an economist because while the about the author section says Harlan studied for a bachelor of chemical engineering at Cornell, it only actually says he received a BA in economics from the University of Michigan. A BA. A BA. A Bachelor of Arts. Like, just a BA. Yes. He graduated from University of Michigan. He received a BA a BA in economics, but apparently he studied at Cornell for chemical engineering. Sure he did. And I studied at Stanford because I took the iTunes online classes for the there Stanford you go. University. Yeah. So yeah, I can say I studied thing. at Stanford. Mm-hmm. Literally. I studied at Duke I studied uh friggin' cell cell biology at Duke University when I was twelve and I did a summer camp there. I'm gonna say I'm gonna put that on my resume. I studied uh I studied coding at Stanford University because I took that fucking uh iTunes U class. I studied lemur biology and uh human prosthesis regeneration. Guys, but this this University. podcast we're we're getting to really what we always want to talk about in this podcast is just uh why how to pad your resume. How to pad your resume and lie to everyone so that you get the job you want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so back to this phase fucking podcast three. is in my professional portfolio. <laughs> back to pay- phase three of Project Bluebeam. Quoting once again. Oh, God. This is both a quote from the manifesto and also a quote from the report, the the paper, Harlan's paper. Mm-hmm. Their findings, of course, stated that the United States was had already developed communications equipment that can make the blind see, the deaf hear, and the lame walk. 
I can relieve the term. It can relieve the terminally Ill, terminally ill from pain without the use of drugs or surgery. I'm not talking about science fiction. A man might retain the use of all his facilities right up to the moment of his death. Their communications equipment depends upon a completely new way of looking at the human brain and neuromuscular systems and radiation pulses at ultra-low frequencies. Some of this equipment is now operational within the Central Intelligence Agency, the CIA, Mm -hmm. and the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the FBI. It will never be used to make the blind see, the deaf hear, and the lame walk because it is central to the domestic political agenda and foreign policy of George Bush and his puppet masters of the New World Order. Domestically, which George Bush? I think it's the senior. Okay. Well, I guess this would make sense because it was 91, right? It was 91. Domestically, the new communications equipment is being used to torture and murder persons who match profiles imagined to be uh, able to screen a given population for terrorists, to torture and murder citizens who belong to organizations which promote tolerance and peace and development in Central America, to torture and murder citizens who belong to organizations who oppose the development and deployment of nuclear weapons, and to create a race of slave cult automatons, or what is popularly called the Manchurian Candidates. Okay, so here's the thing. Yes. For some reason, as soon as you said peace organizations in South America... Central America. Central America. Fucking red flags in my head went off about the People's <laughs> Temple. Kind of, yeah, yeah. A little bit. I'm like, are these people saying that the People's Temple was like a whole conspiracy and not, they didn't actually fucking kill, because, mm. Well, that was, that was in like the. That was the 70s. Know. That was the So 70s. it was before. Yeah. I don't know, my dude. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. So it's just like, hmm. The UN and NASA are going to beam God slash the Antichrist voice into all of our heads in order to make us fearful and compliant to their wills. The thought process behind their supposed motivation is actually the most rational thing about the whole theory, in my opinion, which makes it very sad. Yeah, that does. Um, Yeah. Here's the quote. As for the question of why. For one thing, if you terrify the public and make them fear for their safety, they will allow you to implement draconian law enforcement practice disarm them and keep extensive records on them and they will have to tell you and they will only have to tell you that it is all to protect you of course right secondly it promotes the decay of the present democratic forms of political systems and leads societies to search for alternative methods of political ideology and like that kind of does make sense yeah um people who live in fear are more open to stricter things that are supposedly going to keep them safe but then again, welcome also to our control. current political climate. <laughs> but then, like gun control, because yeah. they're like, "Oh yeah, people be readily able to be disarmed." And it's like, well, but that's not part America. Yeah, well, and that's part of the conspiracy about the the fucking false flags and gun control people. Yeah, which is a whole Alex Jones segment that we're not doing again because holy shit, yeah. um, is that like they're they're these operations the they they didn't actually happen like these kids aren't dead or blah 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 because like they're just trying to take our guns away they're trying to make us afraid to take our guns away i'm like okay if that was actually the the like goal here it's failed miserably for the past 20 years yep so so why not change tactics yeah yeah is there some kind of long con like yeah. what's the plan here i, I don't know cuz it's gotten worse like we used to have an assault rifle ban it expired and we haven't been able to get it back. Yep. 
So I get the vibe that Sergey was a big anti-government guy, so he probably would have no done well shit. Yeah, in this current environment, he probably would have a fucking position in the cabinet right now. Except he's Canadian. Uh well, mm, he still could have had some kind of because because it's like um, Schwarzenegger wasn't Amer- wasn't American born. I mean, yeah, no, he could have been a governor, maybe. Yeah, who knows? He could he could have had some, he could have been governor of Maine. I mean, he's about as crazy <laughs> as the current governor. So step four, Project Bluebeam goes even more off the rail, if you can believe it. How? Step four. Step four has three parts. Okay. The Jesus first part Christ. is so four A. Four A <laughs> is familiar to anyone who's read Watchmen. Yeah. Somehow, probably through mind control, the UN is going to make people believe that aliens are coming. They are going to somehow stage an alien invasion in every major city on the planet. This will apparently inspire the nations that are capable of it to fire the nuclear weapons at the supposed alien threat. Okay, so like the opposite of what Watchmen intended. Yes, Watchmen intended people will come together to ban against the... Well, I mean, sort of. Um, who was it? Uh, I keep wanting to say Ozymandias, but that's not it. Uh, who was, who Oz- was it? It is Ozymandias. Oh, it is Ozymandias. Okay. Yeah. Because his, his whole thing was like he destroyed part of New York... In yes. order for to stop the Cold War to bring people together, so that because he to give felt them a common enemy, yeah, because he felt if he didn't do that, then uh, nuclear annihilation was was about to happen, right? Which is what in sort of is the idea here, okay? Because it sounds so, like the opposite here. <laughs> well, there so the the humans who are being subjected to this fake alien threat will fire their nukes at the aliens. I'm not sure where. This is going to happen because are they firing them on Earth or into our yeah, atmosphere? Yeah, because that, that's what I'm saying. It never it's specifies. Like, that's why I'm saying it's like the opposite of, of uh, Ozymandias's, uh goal at Watchmen is because they're trying to get it. Like, it sounds like they're trying to get governments to fire nuclear weapons at major cities. Well, yeah, but the thing is at their own major cities. Yeah, which yeah. is even fucking weirder. Right. Or at our atmosphere, which even also doesn't make sense, because if they do that, it's very possible they're destroying some, if not all of the satellites NASA is allegedly using to shoot brain scrambling frequencies down at us. Yeah, that image you have in your head of just like the clear blue Earth, like hanging in the in the in the solar system in space. Yeah, in space. Yeah. Uh, You need to add a few million satellites in there. So many satellites just circling about. Yeah, there's just there's a lot Everybody of space Everybody can have junk. a satellite now. Yeah, there's a lot yeah. of space junk surrounding us. Um, but Manast says there is going. This is going to be the excuse the UN needs to disarm all of the countries. Okay, sure. They'll be like, "You fired your weapons at nothing, so you didn't get to keep them anymore." And the paranoid and terrified people of the world will apparently just be okay with that. Yeah, that's so not happening. Yeah. I feel like just like 2016, 2017, 2018 just totally disproves this whole theory. Yeah. So I'm now going to quote from the second stage, 4B. Okay. 4B. 4B. The second is to make the Christians believe that the rapture is going to occur with the supposed divine intervention of an alien, off-world civilization coming to rescue earthlings from a savage and merciless demon. So basically they're convincing people that the People's Temple were right. Kind of. Not well, the people's not temple. The heaven's gate. Heaven's, uh, gate. heaven's gate. Yes. Yeah. Its goal is to ma- to be disposed of all significant opposition to the implementation of the New World Order in one major stroke. Actually within hours of the beginning of the Sky Show. 
So basically, they're going to rapture up all the dissidents to somewhere mm-hmm. uh, to quell opposition to their new world order. And apparently, this is all going to happen within like a day. Uh, this is something I didn't realize first. Step one, steps one through four are meant to be happening in quick succession. So like How? the populace of Earth is going to be given their new god and told they're getting attacked by aliens and disarmed of nuclear weapons all in the same day. That's a lot to happen in 24 hours. That's a real busy day. Also, like, how quickly do these people expect disarmament, like, nuclear disarmament to happen? Like, seriously. How many nuclear weapons do they think, like, we personally have? Because we personally have a fuck ton. I can't clean my apartment in one day. How are you going to (laughs) disarm an entire country in one day? Not just one country, but apparently every single country. Every single country on the planet with nuclear weapons. Like, we were just trying to get rid of some of our nuclear weapons, and that didn't fucking happen. And now apparently they're making more. Yeah. Why is my my question? Because, like, the whole point has a whole other thing. Anyway, the the final stages of step four are to what, to send what uh, Sergei Manas calls supernatural forces through all of our electronic wires. Fiber optic cables, coaxial cables, telephone lines, etc. I'm this not is sure how this, cell phones. I'm not sure how this works with Wi-Fi. Yeah. Can supernatural forces travel through Wi-Fi? Well, this is also pre-Wi-Fi. So it was not taken into account. Yes, this is true. It's they're gonna go through our electronic wires and into our brains like some sort of anamorphs conspiracy. In the manifesto, he says embedded chips will already be in place. And I'm like, are microprocessors compatible with the supernatural? Because if that's true, again, my engineering professors lied to me. Yeah. Um, what? Yeah. The goal of this is a quote again. The goal of this deals with global satanic ghosts projected all through the world in order to push all populations to the edge of hysteria and madness. To drown them in a world, a wave of suicide, murder, and permanent psychological disorders. After the Night of the Thousand Stars, which is what he calls it, never before in this manifesto, but does now. Worldwide populations will be ready for the new messiah to reestablish order and peace at any cost, even at the cost of abdication of freedom. Yeah. I'm, I'm just, I'm still attempting to process this information, but my brain is rejecting it. <laughs> it they're they're going to send demons through the telephone lines to make us kill each other. It's okay. You know what's literally happening to me right now? You know when uh, sometimes when someone's trying to explain something to you and it's so stupid, your brain just totally rejects it. So instead of yes, like listening to half of the things you say, for some reason, the uh, episode Doomsday of Doctor Who is just playing in my head right now. <laughs> and I don't know why. Um, so all of this is going to get kicked off by some sort of economic disaster, which is going to allow the UN to instate some sort of completely electronic currency system. Oh, good. Which- Bitcoin. <laughs> Bitcoin. Or, like, oh, it's a little Handmaid's Tale, if you remember the Hulu yeah. version of it. Yeah. Well, well I actually, actually have not watched The Handmaid's Tale. In the book, they did it, too, I think. I can't remember if they kind extrapolated the, well, on it for the, the show. Book was, the book was more like it got to, there was a point where women were not allowed to keep money, period. Well, yeah, because they were able to do that because all money, all currency was electronic. Yes. So the government was then able to just find all the accounts that were being held by women and say, you no longer have access to your funds. Yeah. And they had to like get their husbands or whatever or their their fathers in order to get access because there's this whole thing where like her best, if you haven't seen or watched, if you haven't watched or read The Handmaid's Tale, her best friend is gay. 
Yes. Uh, so, like, apparently there's a whole, like, they, they figured this was going to happen. So all the gay men and all the lesbian women were just like, we're just going to fake marry each other so that we can get access to our fucking money. Yep. Well, that was the whole thing. And it, it's, but there's still so much cash in circulation today. Exactly. Because, like, the whole and- thing with The Handmaid's Tale was, like, that was, that was written in the 80s, I believe. Mm-hmm. And that was the the beginning of, like, people using mostly credit cards and checks and things like that that were all connected to an electronic banking system. But And I guess assuming that eventually it would just be all that. But even now, cash is still king. Yeah, because people like having a physical currency. Yeah, and a lot of people even use it. It's like, okay, this is how much I have. This is how much I'm going to spend on this. There's, there's literally, like, if you go to personal finance, like, places, um, they will tell you the, the envelope thing which is the envelope Mm. thing is like you literally put cash in an envelope that says this is for groceries this is for this this is for that and that's the amount of money you are allowed to spend on such things so literally it's like yeah we do rely a lot on electronic currency and you know i i definitely like i don't necessarily like keeping cash but i still do keep cash on me the idea behind this is that there will be no cash whatsoever the the in the aftermath of the night of the thousand stars as he calls it the un can just like make supposedly can make everyone poor yeah by no longer giving them access to their funds and dependent upon them to survive that's fucking yeah it gets worse they're even going to put microchips into every wild animal in order to control their minds so that hunters won't be able to feed themselves they're because people totally can't raise their own livestock or transition to a vegetarian diet they can grow themselves but i literally i literally i live in the bay area yeah. And there are cows five minutes yep. away from me. Like, even in major fucking cities. The idea is that they can control the minds of literally every wild animal so that it makes them harder to catch so that hunters can't feed themselves and have to rely on UN sources of food. Okay, so, like, does it explain how? No. That's the thing. Why would it explain they... how? Why would it explain how, but, Chelsea? Like, you saying... expect them to explain how? He doesn't need to explain how. He just needs to tell you what's happening. That's like that's the same thing with the fucking like demon possession. Like you're telling me this is happening, but like fucking how? Yeah. There are no answers. And then people who do try and hunt will apparently be tracked down via satellites and imprisoned or killed by the new world order. I just <laughs> so. And now, now I'm th- now I am thinking of the Handmaid's Tale, which is the whole thing when they're like trying to escape the U.S. Yeah, they're trying to escape to Canada. Yeah, yeah, which always pissed me off because I'm like, if you cross the border, then they shouldn't be able to still chase you. I mean, legally, but the I don't think they much care about legality at that. point. I know, but it's like then it's like I don't know. I don't know. There, that so, whole part of the book like infuriated me because it's like if you're crossing the Canadian border. There's got to be something on the other side. There's got to be some Canadian there like, fucking please help us. Not at every point on the border. It's a huge border. No, but they weren't they? They were traveling from fucking New York City. Yeah, but they couldn't go by main streets because they'd be stopped at the checkpoints. They had to go through the woods and there's no one on the other side of just in the middle of the But they woods. were stopped. at That was the whole thing. They They had to have fake documents because they were stopped at a checkpoint. Yeah, and then they tried to run through the woods. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So it's pretty clear to me that Sergei Manast is a huge technophobe and either doesn't understand how technology works or is so afraid of change that he doesn't want to understand how technology works. Um, another quote from his manifesto. The technology of the 1940s and 1950s was used to help people have an easier and more productive life. 
Um, and apparently all new technology after that point is a conspiracy on a scale so large, I'm not certain how there isn't already a new world order. Like, how are they going to put microchips in every living thing? Yeah. Without anybody? doesn't make sense. No. So, Project Bluebeam schemes are going to lead to eradication camps for organ farming, medical experimentation on the populace, and people being burned alive by the government. And this was all supposed to have gone down before the year 2000. Yeah, okay, sure, yeah. Uh, originally, said he said the planners had intended for this to go down in 1983, and somehow George Orwell knew this, which is why his book is called 1984. Yeah, but 1984 has nothing to do with any of this. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Like, literally, like, this whole thing, it's like this, like, nothing in your plan is ha- happened in 1984. Except for in like the, the totalitarian government who's watching. Well, yeah, it all but times. that's always like that's always a thing. That's in, like, always the any thing. Kind there's of no fucking. There's no end. faked rapture. There's no gods in the sky. Any of that. There's no. There's no even electronic money in 1984. No, there isn't. So Sergey comes out with his ideas about Project Bluebeam in 1994. Do you know what else came out in 1994? Independence Day. Yes. Do you know what else came out in 1994? No. Joe Engels' book. Joel. Engel's book, Gene Roddenberry, The Man, The Myth and the Man Behind Star Trek. Okay. Go with me on this. All right. I, you know, you yell at me about turning this into a Star no. Wars podcast. Hold on. Go with me on this. Okay, fine. In Engel's book, he discusses a planned Star Trek movie that never happened. Oh, In 1976, Gene Roddenberry wrote a treatment for a film he was pitching to Paramount called Star Trek, The God Thing. <laughs> the God Thing. The God Thing. The treatment was rejected by Paramount and was going to be released as a novelization instead, but it was canceled. Okay. The plot of the story is that an alien entity comes to Earth, destroying spaceships and claiming to be God. When they confront the alien, it sends an android probe onto the Enterprise that can shapeshift into a bunch of different shapes, including Jesus and other messiahs. It turns out that the ship had once upon a time sent more of these probes down to Earth in all of these forms and use them to create every religion on the planet. Was this an actual thing that Roddenberry wrote, or are they just saying? Yes. Okay. No, this is 100% a legitimate thing that Roddenberry wrote. And I can prove it because the plot was altered and reused for a Star Trek The Next Generation episode called The Devil's Due, which did come out in 1991. The idea, instead of it being God coming to Earth, or an alien pretending to be God coming to Earth, it was an alien pretending to be the devil came to Earth, and that's where we got where our idea of what the devil is. They did a similar thing in Doctor Who. They did, yes. This that's came one out, of my favorite episodes. This came out in 1994, the same year as Sergei Manast said that NASA is going to show us all of these images of God in the sky in order to kick off a mass religious panic. They're just trying to kickstart the apocalypse, guys. So I cannot say for certain if uh, his crazy was inspired by the Star Trek book, but the coincidence between the Night of the Thousand Stars and the God Thing are kind of really obvious. Was this seriously called the God Thing? It was seriously called the God Thing. Was he just not great at titles? No. Okay. No, he wasn't. Okay. But you know what? The rest of Star Trek is great, Um, (laughs) except for Enterprise. So also, (laughs) except for fucking... The one that Shatner directed. Oh, yeah, no, that one. Also, Into Darkness was not good. 
No. I mean, like, you know, the yeah. even-numbered ones are great. So Project well, odd number, Blue right? Beam, no. Even-numbered ones. Well, th- because... Wrath of Khan. Right, yeah. But Into Darkness yeah. is that... Because that's two of the new era, but... Th- okay. That's Kelvin Universe. It's a different thing. Okay. okay. I could go into it, but that would make this into a Star Trek podcast. And I'm trying to be star neutral. Okay. Uh-huh. I'm only bringing it up because literally the Project yeah. Blue no, Beam no, 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 was that's inspired. Fair. That's fair. So Project Blue Beam has become a template for conspiracy theories about the New World Order. Proponents of the theory have extrapolated it to embrace 9-11, chemtrails, FEMA concentration camps, and the death of Tupac Shakar. All of these things are things that we should at one point cover on this podcast. Yeah, we should, yes. So basically, if conspiracy theorists think... Shakur. Shakur? Yeah. My bad. I apologize to the late Tupac. Basically, if conspiracy theorists think the government is using something against them, they can claim it's part of Project Bluebeam, and they're going to use microchips in our house cats to beam mind control waves into our brains to make us think the Antichrist is our savior, and we have to give the UN our our nukes or we'll be raptured. Okay, house cats controlling humans is a plot of Futurama. Yes. But also, probably true. Do you have a cat? You understand what I'm talking about then. It, there's also the parasite thing, which we could go into, but um, eh. but that's basically that's Project Bluebeam. So what's the takeaway? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I don't know what the takeaway. Just because is. it's the plot of a Star Trek episode doesn't mean it's true. Yeah, literally, yes. Like Star Trek kicked off a lot of things. Star Trek is the reason we have cell phones now. Mm-hmm. Um, Star Trek is where the trope that the evil twin has a beard comes from. Yeah, that comes from Star Trek. Not everything that happens in Star Trek is true. And also, like, what? Yeah. What? Chelsea. I don't. Also, I like, don't understand. If you have an, if you have a BA in economics, that does not make that does not mean you should be able to publish a fucking scientific paper about how NASA is going to bring about the Antichrist. Oh, uh, like. Where do the demons come from? I don't know. That that's Where is NASA getting the demons? See, here are my unanswered questions. One, where are the demons coming from? And two, how are you controlling from? every single animal on the planet? Exactly. How are they doing this? Also, how are you projecting something in the sky that apparently can be seen and heard by everyone, but apparently is different for every single person? They're doing a whole bunch of them, apparently. But it's like, it's not like, re- it's not like religion is completely regional. No, it's not. So like, it, uh, listen, it, I don't know. There's a lot of questions. None of it makes sense. I don't know if there's a takeaway. There's a lot of questions. There's not a lot of answers. The takeaway is stop. <laughs> Just stop. Just stop. Just what are you the doing? The takeaway is NASA doesn't have the fucking budget in order for this. NASA to doesn't have the budget for this. NASA doesn't have the budget for this. Yeah, like that's the takeaway. There's no fucking budget. Like, they're going to say that's a cover-up and that all the money goes to NASA. But, like, if all the money goes to NASA, we'd be on Mars by now. Also, yeah, like, all the money goes to the fucking military. It does not go to NASA. The opposite of us being disarmed. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the takeaway is the past three years have proven that this whole thing is... No. I just like the takeaway being just stop. Just stop. Just stop. Stop. That's me. That's what I got. All right. So Don't get raptured, kids. Holy fuck. Yep. Project Bluebeam. So the accidental theme of this podcast is religion. Yay. But while yours is fucking insane. Yep. Mine might be true. Ooh. 
Let's step away from the crazy into the Let's step away from the fucking crazy. tin hats. And let me tell you about Mary Magdalene. Oh, snap. I'm ready. I'm yep. ready. Hit me with it. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with uh, Abrahamic religion, Saint Mary Magdalene, because she's a saint, sometimes simply called the Magdalene, which I have never heard before was a Jewish woman who, according to texts included in the New Testament, traveled with Jesus as one of his followers. She is also said to have witnessed Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, and within the four Gospels, she is named 12 times, more than most of the apostles. Dang. The Gospel of Luke says seven demons had gone out of her, and the longer ending of Mark says Jesus had cast seven demons out of her, and she is most prominent in the narrative of the crucifixion of Jesus at which she was present, and the witness in all four Gospels of the empty tomb, which is central to the narratives of Jesus' resurrection. So she was literally, she was the first person to see Jesus after he was resurrected, according to She's the Bible. She's there for everything. Yeah. She's just on it. Right. So here is the, so Mary Magdalene is considered to be a saint by the Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, Anglican, and Lutheran churches with a feast day of July 22nd, which we have to celebrate this year. Okay. July 22nd, which I think will be at Comic-Con. Aren't you, like, super Jewish? I'm super Jewish. Mary Magdalene was Jewish. Look. It, yeah. There, there's a thing there. All right. Other Protestant churches honor her as the her- as a heroine of the faith. The Eastern Orthodox Church also commemorate her on the Sunday of the Mirror Bearers, the Orthodox equivalent of one of the Western Three Marys traditions, which I don't know any of that, what any of that means. Uh, Katie, help me out here. And during the Middle Ages, Mary Magdalene was regarded in Western Christianity as a repentant prostitute or promiscuous woman, and claim which are claims not found in any of the four canonical Gospels. So here's the thing about Mary Magdalene. If you know who Mary Magdalene is, which I'm assuming that most of our listeners do, the first thing that comes to your mind is, oh, she was a prostitute. That sure. Jesus saved. Right. And here's where that comes from and why, and why I'm kind of going to talk about how this sort of ties in with the whole Pope thing. Because the idea of her being a prostitute, what didn't actually come into play until Pope Gregory the First, who oh he was Pope from five ninety to six oh four. So this is this is kind of before the the marriage thing. Then uh, I I got my dates wrong. Popes can still be married. Although the notion of Mary Magdalene being a repentant sinner can be traced back as far as the as Ephraim the Syrian in the fourth century. I don't know who the fuck that is. And there was just too much for me to look up. So I did not look up who that was. The notion of her being a former prostitute or loose woman dates to a claim by Pope Gregory the first, also known as Gregory the great made an influential homily in around 591 in which he identified Magdalene, not only with the anonymous sinner with the perfume in Luke's gospel, which I'll talk about in just a second, um, but also with Mary of Bethany, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. This interpretation is often called the composite Magdalene in modern scholarship. So basically, there there's a few different notes. First of all, there's a fuck ton of Marys for some reason. Yeah, it's, Mary it's is a, a real popular name. Super common name. Uh, I know a lot of times that people complain because there's even like, because like there's Mary Jesus's like wife. Why am I saying this? There's Mary Jesus's mom. Yeah. There's like Mary Magdalene and people get people confused all the time yes so there was like there's just so many marys there was actually three marys named by jesus that like followed him they keep combining them because they're all named mary um mary of bethany and mary of magdalene are two very different women but for some reason they've been combined 
This is like when I had two roommates named Jessica in high school. Or not high school, college. I can't words. Yeah, that's okay. So here's what Pope Gregory, Gregory the Great, air quotes, said about Mary. She whom Luke calls the sinful woman, whom John calls Mary, we believe to be Mary from whom the seven devils were ejected, according to Mark. What did these seven de- devils signify, if not all of the vices? It is clear that the woman previously used the ungent to perfume her flesh in forbidden acts. This is real old English, so I'm going to have a little bit of a problem here. What she therefore displayed more scandalously, she was now offering to God in a more praiseworthy manner. She had coveted with earthly eyes, but now through penitence. Penitence? You got it right. Yeah. Okay. These are consumed with tears. She displayed her hair to set off her face, but now her hair dries her tears. She had spoken proud things with her mouth, but in kissing the Lord's feet, she now planted her mouth on the Redeemer's feet. For every delight, therefore, she had in herself, she now immolated herself. She turned the mass of her crimes to virtues in order to serve God entirely in penance. Okay, that's a lot. That's a lot. The The Bible verse that they're referring to is the verse where Jesus was invited in for dinner. And a woman whom everyone had, a, an anonymous woman, so never says it's Mary. It's always an anonymous woman. Mm-hmm. Who had come in to the the home with her hair down. And at the time, if your hair was down, that was a very intimate thing. Like, you weren't supposed to see a woman's hair. Right. So, a, if it w- like, the, the notion being if a woman's hair is down, then it's a it's a sexual thing. There's a lot of right. sexual innuendo in the Bible. There's a fuck ton of sexual innuendo in the Bible. Listen, um, there's a lot in the Bible that people don't think about as being biblical. Like, if you know someone in the Bible, if you biblically know someone, you fuck them. It means you banged. You yeah. banged. The the no, the whole hair, her hair being down was, like, alluding to the fact that she was a prostitute. Came in and perfumed Jesus' feet and kissed them and wiped her tears away with her hair. Like, and Jesus forgave her for her sins. So there's that. The seven devils thing is something that is attributed to Mary of Magdalene. But the thing is, Pope Gregory is the one who attributed the seven devils to being the sins. When actually, a lot of times when saying when in the Bible, when it's like the devils or the demons were cast out, mm-hmm. it was sicknesses. Okay. Yeah. So she could have just, she probably just like had some kind of sickness. That old timey. Yes. Je- that Jesus was, <laughs> not necessarily, but that Jesus was. said to have healing her healed yes yeah so the but here's the kind of interesting thing is there's a like with every verse of the bible there is another version of that verse you're gonna have to give me a second so the so the version that we know is jesus was at bethany in the house of simon the leper when a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of the most expensive ointment and poured it on oh no this is different so this is this is the other translate sorry i'm like there's so many fucking biblical translations i have up right now okay so this is the alternative translation do we do want to do the alternative or the original first i don't know where the original is i already told you oh this is so this is the original one of the pharisees invited jesus to a meal when he arrived at the pharisee's house and took his place at a table a woman came in who had a bad name in the town she had heard he was dining with the pharisee and had brought with her an alabaster jar of ointment she waited behind him at his feet weeping and her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them away with her hair and then she covered his feet with kisses and anointed them with the ointment. So when you anoint someone, this is like definitely like one of those words that is like had many different meanings, but the original meaning of anointing someone is literally like blessing them with ointment. Right. 
So when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself. Also, real quick, you're talking really fast. Can you slow down slightly? I'm so sorry. It's okay. It was just like, I know you're getting into it, but I'm like having a hard time following. Okay. I'm sorry. I will slow down. No worries. So when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who this woman is that is touching him and what a bad name she has. But Jesus refuses to condemn her or even deflect her gesture. And indeed, he recognizes it. Sorry. Indeed, he recognizes it as a sign that her many sins must have been forgiven her or she would not have shown such great love. Your faith has saved you, Jesus tells her. Go in peace. That's the version that is told mostly. However, other verses in other Gospels only add to the complexity. Matthew gives an account of the same incident, but to make a different point and with a crucial detail added. Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper when a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of the most expensive ointment and poured it on his head as he was at table. When they saw this, the disciples were indignant. Why this waste? They said they could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Jesus noticed this. Why are you upsetting the woman? He said to them. When she poured this ointment on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. I tell you solemnly, wherever in the world this good news is proclaimed, what she has done will be told also in remembrance of her so this art of very different very very different yeah so basically jesus this is one of the many instances where jesus like alludes to his own death yeah he does that a lot because he was he's he's goth as hell none more he's none more goth but the other thing is that doing something like that is is kind of intimate so okay so for some reason Again, the, orig- the the other translation is attributed to Mary Magdalene as being a sinner, even though, like, there are two di- very, very different translations of this. And then here are some speculations about Mary Magdalene. In 1998, Ramon K. Giussino proposed an unprecedented argument that the beloved disciple of the Gospel of John is Mary Magdalene. Giussino based his argument largely on the Nag Hammadi Gnostic books, regard- rejecting the the view of Raymond D. Brown. There's going to be a lot of people involved in this because it's a fucking theistic conspiracy. Right. So I'm sorry in advance. And I don't even fucking remember everyone's name. So don't worry about it. It's not super. There's only a couple names that are super important. And really just the characters of the Bible are important. So anyway, rejecting the view of Raymond D. Brown that these books were later developments and maintaining instead that the extent Gospel of John is the result of modification of an earlier text that presented Mary Magdalene as the beloved disciple. Richard J. Hooper does not make the Giussino thesis his own, but says perhaps we should not altogether reject the possibility that some Johannian Christians considered Mary Magdalene to be the disciple whom Jesus loved. Esther A. D. Bauer likewise presents the idea as one possibility among others, not as definitive solution to the problem of the identity of the anonymous disciple. A theological interpretation of Mary as the Magdala, the elegant tower. So Mary was from the town of Magdala, which is how you get Mary and Magdalene, but Magdala, like the town she was from, like literally translates to like fish, salt fish tower. Okay. Magdala is, I guess, uh, a translation meaning tower, and so Mary was Mary was also considered the elegant tower, and certain churches honor her as a heroine of the faith in their teachings. Here is the conspiracy. Okay. Mary Magdalene was Jesus's wife. I've heard of this one. Yes. I've heard of this You one. may recognize it as the fucking thing in the Da Vinci Code. I was literally about to say. But here's the thing. The Da Vinci Code popularized it, but it was actually a 
well-known thing that a lot of people were believing for a very long time. Yes. I actually enjoyed The Da Vinci Code. I, I enjoyed the book. I haven't seen the movie. I've seen the movie like a couple times, but I really liked the I book. En- I enjoyed the film. I don't know. I guess it's just like because I enjoyed conspiracy theories. Like and I enjoyed it's just the fun. Film. Yeah. Here's the other thing. Gathering Dust in the British Library, this is from The Independent, is a document that takes us into the missing years of Jesus's life. And scholars believe that Jesus was born around 5 BC and that he was crucified around 30 AD. But there is a huge gap in his biography. We know absolutely nothing of Jesus from the time he was eight days old, which is his circumcision according to Jewish law, until he was in his early 30s. There is one exception. According to the Gospel of Luke, when he was just 12 years old, Jesus traveled with his parents to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And that's it. That's all we have. Otherwise, 30 years of absolute silence. Okay, so there are some uh, stories they found that they believe are rejected stories from the Bible. Yeah, and I'll get into that too. Okay, do you have the one about him fighting dragons? I do not have the one about him fighting dragons because I was focusing mostly on Mary. There's a story about 13-year-old Jesus, I'm pretty sure, fighting a dragon, if I remember correctly. It's great. Yeah. The other, well, the other thing that these gospels and like, so this is a little side side note that's not related to Mary. Um, but one of the things that they talk about is that Jesus was not an only child. Yeah. All the historical texts say that he had siblings, which would have been really weird if he was an only child. Yeah. At the time, super weird. Because like by just because like the odds are all your kids are going to die before they turn eight or whatever because of illness. Yeah. So you got to pop as many kids out as you can just so that they'll live. So I think there's like Mal went to a private Christian school and was t- when I was explaining that this is what I was doing. Um, he did say there's like a line in the Bible somewhere that he remembers that that they do mention that there were children of Joseph because Jesus right. is not a child of Joseph. So technically they're his half sibling. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, so here is arguably the most influential individual in human history. And we know nothing about him until after he starts his ministry, like his public activism, at most three years before his crucifixion. So it's literally like birth and then three years before he's crucified. So within the the time skip. Huh? Yeah. Quite the time skip. So within the Bible itself, we have no information about Jesus's early years, his upbringing, friends, schooling or his interaction with family members. We have no knowledge of Jesus as a young adult. How did he gain access to the writings of the Hebrew Bible? Did the synagogue in Nazareth, a very small hamlet at the time, have scrolls in the law of the law and uh, the prophets? And who were his religious teachers? This kind of culminates into Jesus was a rabbi. Because again, Jesus was Jewish. Yep. Because Christianity didn't exist until after him. Yes. Jesus was a rabbi. And this is another thing that, that is going into Mary Magdalene is that rabbis were married. Unlike priests who are supposed to be completely celibate, which I'll actually get into why that is in just a second, and it's fucking bananas. Um, (laughs) While some dismiss non-canonical texts, it's not impossible that Jesus may have had a partner or lover and that his closest companion would be a significant witness to his legacy. Girls and women are typically mentioned with a father or husband's surname, so the use of the title Magdalene suggests that she was unmarried or the title is honorary. And we've already talked about the fact that the title is partially honorary. Because she's seen as the Tower of Faith. Unlike previous scholars, we have more manuscript evidence to look at, such as the Gospel of Philip, dated around the 3rd century, which was rediscovered in the 1940s. There were three who always walked with the Lord, Mary, his mother, and her sister, and Magdalene, the one who was called his companion. His sister and his mother and his companion were each a Mary. 
There's too many Marys. Yeah. I Like I said, there's a, like, the three Marys, there's a fuck ton of Marys. But also, that's an interesting thing, because um, in Christianity, there is a huge thing about the, the, the threefold God of being Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Yeah, so now we have it's the sister, the mother, and the companion. And the wife, yeah. essentially. Yeah, that's really interesting. So the text that this is from, very old, so there are a lot of holes in it. Mm-hmm. And there's literally a bit of text that says, Jesus is reported to kiss her often on her, and then there's wife. a hole. So, so what happens in the biblical text when Mary Magdalene and Jesus are finally together alone this actually happens in John 20 as Jesus appears to Mary weeping beside the empty tomb. So this is Mary seeing Mary being the first person seeing Jesus when he After is coming out of it. Uh, yeah. yeah. Woman, why are you crying? Crucially, the Greek word for woman could also mean wife. Mm. Jesus speaks a gentle word. Mary, she replies, Rabboni, teacher, and the details are not described, but he tells her not to hold on to him now. Theological tradition aside, the text allows for the possibility that here we find a man and his wife, a pair of lovers. In antiquity, gods and divine beings were anthropomorphic and considered to have human traits, including sexuality. This is, however, not how Jesus' story has been interpreted. Instead, he is portrayed as both asexual and a spiritual teacher. In stories when women touch and kiss him, the gospel rights writers turn our attention to spiritual things, his sacrificial death and forgiveness of our sins. Mary, however, will continue to haunt the story. So one of the reasons that they're saying that there's this huge gap is because people didn't want to believe that Jesus had any kind of sexual... That Jesus was banging? Yeah. That Jesus knew people biblically? So, yeah. So basically, and I believe it was St. Peter, was apparently, I think, uh, was from Turkey, was from the area now known as Turkey. Okay. And there was a... God that they, I don't know if it was God or a prophet. Yeah, it had to have been a prophet that they revered there that in order to uh, prove his devotion to his wife, castrated himself on their wedding night. What? And that became a thing that men would castrate themselves. And Mal asked, what happened to this religion? I'm like, babe, they castrated themselves. It died. Yeah. (laughs) Like, they didn't procreate. Um. And apparently that whole vision of celibacy being, like, holy stemmed from that. And the thing is, had Jesus actually been celibate, it would have been mentioned in the Bible, and it isn't. So I just can't get over the, like, how is, oh, I'm uncertain how this is, like, proving. I guess it's like, it's like, babe, babe, I don't just want you for your body. I'm going to cut my balls off because I don't, to prove that I don't just want you for your body. I'm really into your mind as well. Yeah. I mean, fuck. So the thing is that the, the, the co-author of the lost gospel, which is a book that came out kind of shortly after the Da Vinci Code, which is why a lot of people are saying like the only reason people are giving this theory any credence is because of the da vinci code when it's like no this is something that has been talked about for years and years and years like is mm-hmm. at least since the 1940s and it's just that it's become more popular now because of the da vinci code mary magdalene was a woman of stature who was revered as a goddess it goes way beyond marriage he said his his name is simcha jacobovici okay we're gonna call him simon <laughs> you can at least say his first name simcha yeah. Okay, Simcha. Simcha. 
Okay, he says it describes Mary Magdalene as a co-messiah, co-deity, and defender of humanity. This shows her as the leader of the Gentiles, a.k.a. non-Jewish church. She is called the mother of virgins, and the text is called the story of Mary Magdalene. It's about her. What's interesting is we were sort of talking about this for a completely different reason. Yeah. That there is often in female representations of deities, there's often the threefold characteristics of the the deity being the maiden, mother, and crone. Mm -hmm. And that kind of falls into there being the three Marys also. Yeah. So it's like there's the Virgin Mary, who's the maiden, and also, weirdly, the mother, and also the the crone. It's like it's like yeah. a weird thing. So but Mary Magdalene also maybe. Yeah, the lost gospel is based on a twenty nine chapter manuscript dating back to about eighty five seventy. And here's the thing: like a lot of people are like, "Well, that's a really long time after Jesus's crucifixion." But the thing is, the entire Bible was written about five hundred years after crucifixion. Yep. Yeah. N- none of this was written at the time. There's bits and pieces that were written at the time that people picked up and put in the Bible, but there's also a lot of bits and pieces that they decided to totally keep out. Like uh, the dragons. Like the dragons. And like the fact that Jesus was fucking married. Because, and here's the thing, here's the, the kind of like historical evidence surrounding that, is that Jesus was considered a rabbi, and at the time all rabbis were married. Mm-hmm. If he had been unmarried, even a 30-year-old rabbi that was unmarried, it would have been fucking mentioned, because yeah. that would have been extremely weird. You only live to be like 40-something. If you're not married by 30, then what's going on there, my dude? Yeah, it it would have been an extremely weird circumstance. He would not necessarily be revered because it's like you think now it's like, oh, Jesus would be revered because he's Jesus. Well, he would have been, people would have been very weirded out had he been too outside of the norm. Mm-hmm. And in order for that to be possible, then he must have been conforming to some kind of, you know, social norm at the time, which is being married and having kids. So, and the thing is, they actually found a tomb that the Catholic Church is saying, like, is a total fake and is actually referring to someone else named Jesus and someone else named Mary. But there is a tomb in which there are tombs. I see, I say tomb a lot, but I guess, uh, I don't want to say coffin because they're not coffins because back then it's just like the stone tablets that are saying that the, here lies Jesus, his wife, Mary, and then their son, uh, Judah. Mm-hmm. And the Catholic Church is like, well, that's not our Jesus. That's someone else. And it's like, that's what you're going with? Because <laughs> it seems like a real weird co- coincidence. Listen, there's another. Well, to be fair, there's apparently 80 billion people named Mary at the time. That's true. Um, and and like, yeah, there's just uh, there's this other guy named Jesus. Yeah. There's, there's these multiple Jesuses. That, that was buried with his wife, Mary, and his mother, Mary. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, every woman is named Mary. Apparently, yes. Every single female human being is named Mary. Okay. What's even better is that this then talks about if anyone was a drama kid in high school, you know of the Jesus, uh, you know Joseph and the Technicolor Dream Goat. Yes. So, apparently that story is an allegory to the fact that Jesus was married to Mary. Interesting. Yes. The tale of Joseph, recipient of the famed coat of many colors in the Old Testament, and his wife, Azaneth. The manuscript was written from Syriac into English by Mr. Jacobovici, which is, uh, now I can't remember what his name is. It sounds like Simon, but it's not. Samchi, Samchi, Samcha. There you go. Something like that. Who was an Israeli-Canadian investigative journalist, which is kind of cool. 
and Barry Wilson, who is a professor of religious studies at York University in Toronto. Although the script does not mention Jesus and Mary, they claim that Joseph stands for Jesus and Azeneth for Mary Magdalene. They said the names of their sons, Ephraim and uh, Manasseh, may also be code. The author said that although the literal story of Joseph and Azeneth is known to experts, subtleties were lost when it was translated into Latin and Greek in the 12th century. So that's something I didn't realize. Like, the Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat story is, like, fucking old as shit. I didn't realize it was an actual biblical story. Yeah, it's a Bible story. I did not realize that. Do you remember, like... And we did that. We did that musical in in high school. Yeah, I saw it on Broadway, and it was... I freaking, like... Is that the one with the Elvis Pharaoh? Possibly, yes. No, that might be Jesus Christ Superstar. That might be Jesus. I, I'm having a hard time remembering. Yeah. You remember Prince of Egypt, that movie? Yeah, that was a great that movie. That was a freaking good movie. That was a good movie. I kind of want to watch that now. Yeah, me too. Anyway. Let's watch, let's watch Prince of Egypt after this. Okay. <laughs> By returning to the ancient Syriac, a Middle Eastern literary language from the 4th to 8th centuries, they claimed they were able to read the entire text and decode its meaning. Crucially, they said the manuscript was accompanied by two letters, which proved that the person who authorized the translation into Syriac knew they were taking a great risk. The letters confirmed that the manuscript was written in code and contained a hidden message about Jesus. One of them had been mysteriously cut in half, fueling suspicions of censorship. The code was deciphered by American digital imaging experts using the -the state-of-the-art equipment. A form of x-raying enabled them to see through every ink smudge to discern the writing. And Mr. Jacobovici said, We have not just found a text and put Jesus in as a metaphor. Christian monks religiously copied this text for hundreds of years. Joseph is called the son of God. The language is very graphic. It says that Joseph, also known as Jesus, had sexual intercourse with Mary Magdalene. And a story about Joseph and uh, Azanith as Israelites would have been of no interest to monks. The Church of England, noting the book's superior claims, referenced to a classic Monty Python sketch, stating, it is not lost, it's not gospel, it is a very naughty marketing campaign. Love it. The Church of England said that. Love it. They would. They would. So, and then they're also saying, like, ever since Dan Brown's best-selling novel, The Da Vinci Code, was published in 2003, an industry has been constructed in which conspiracy theories, satellite channel documentaries, and opportunistic publishers had identified a lucrative income stream. They author. They also likened their discovery to that of the Dead Sea Scrolls, which we've talked about. Yeah. They claim it is the first book to make use of an actual written source to show that Jesus and Mary were married and had children. So again, there's also like, there's a lot that that that's like not mentioned in the Bible. There's literally thirty plus years that are just gone from his life, which seems very odd. Yeah, you'd think that you would want to learn about the developmental years. Like, what was Jesus like during puberty? What was, what according were to the Bible, we just like? don't know. And again, that's like? how many really dragons weird. did he fight? <laughs> I want to know. Um, I want to know about the dragons. I do want to real quick plug this. Um, if any of y'all have not read Lamb, which is the gospel according to Biff, Jesus' childhood friend, w- written by a fuck, I can't remember his name at the moment. He's a fucking great writer. He's my cousin's favorite writer. I've met him. He's adorable. Um, you need to fucking read it because it's amazing. I love okay. that book. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's so great. Uh, and it's literally just like about Jesus's lost childhood years, according to his best friend Biff. His best friend, what again? Biff. I was unaware that Biff was a biblical name. Uh, apparently, according to this. All right. It's so good. It still keeps in line with the fact that Jesus was celibate, but it goes. It it it's really good. You should read it. Okay. 
I mean, it's it's obviously not saying that this is fact. It's just like a really, really good book. Okay. So anyway, so then this is uh, an article by Simcha Jacobovici from the Huffington Post. But he says, the publication on November 12th, 2014 of the book I co-wrote with Professor Barry Wilson, The Lost Gospel, decoding the ancient text that reveals Jesus' marriage to Mary the Magdalene, has caused a worldwide theological firestorm, including demonstrations in India. I was even the butt of one of Bill O'Reilly's attacks and have challenged him to an on-air debate. So far, he's demurred. <laughs> no shit. Yeah. I think the reason for all this negativity is that the proof for the historical marriage between Jesus of Nazareth and the woman known as Mary the Magdalene has become overwhelming. Even before our findings, everything, everything pointed to a marriage and nothing argued for Jesus' celibacy. So again, that's the other thing. Like, the Bible doesn't say that Jesus was celibate. It's just something that we assume. It's assumed because it never talks about him banging. Yeah. The only thing that continues... You can't disprove a negative. If it never talks about it either way, you can't say it one way or another. So the only thing that continues to argue for Jesus' celibacy is 2,000 years of theological bullying. This may come as a shock to most people, but the fact is that none of the four Gospels say that Jesus was celibate. The Gospels called Jesus rabbi, and rabbis, then as now, are married. If Jesus wasn't married, someone would have noticed. Here's what I was trying to find. It wasn't Peter. It was Paul. Okay. <laughs> the greatest promoter. The other one of the Beatles. Yes. Peter was not a Beatles. There's not a. I'm joking. I know, I'm making, but like. I'm making a bad joke. I was just going to say the other P name. Sure. The greatest promoter of celibacy for Christians was Paul. On every other matter of Jewish law, and Paul was a Jew called Saul at birth, which is hilarious, Paul was lax. He threw out kosher laws, ignored Sabbath observances, and prayed at the hands of the ritual circumstances shake so that they cut off their own penises when they performed circumcisions. What? I don't know. That sounds painful. Only when it came to sex, Paul was more severe than Moses and Jesus put together. Why? The answer may lie in Paul's background. So here's the fucking crazy-ass religious thing I was talking about. As everyone knows, Paul of Sarsis came from Sarsis, which is an area of modern-day Turkey. What people don't know is that in Sarsis of Paul's day, they worshipped a god named Addis. Perhaps not coincidentally, Addis was a dying and resurrecting god. So actually, so Addis was a god, not a prophet. Okay. So I was wrong initially when I was trying to recall the story. He was called the Good Shepherd, and his earliest depictions show him with a sheep across his shoulders. All of these images were later incorporated into the iconography of Paul's version of Christianity. Put simply, Paul's Jesus looks a lot like Addis. Addis had a great love in his life, Cybele. On their wedding night, Addis decided to make the supreme sacrifice and offer his testicles on the altar of his love. That's He's, a lot. Yeah. He surprised his virgin bride by castrating himself. This idea was a That big, is definitely yep. a surprise. Yeah. I would have to say on the wedding night, that's a, that's a great way to surprise your wife. Yep. This idea was a big hit in the Sarsis of Paul's day. Addis priests, the Gali, would imitate their god by going into a frenzy, emasculating themselves, and offering their testicles as holy sacrifices. Not surprisingly, this once popular religion died out. <laughs> what the crap? For his part, Paul did not promote literal castration, although some early Pauline Christians... For example, the church father, Origen, did castrate themselves. In the spirit of Addis, Paul advocated abstinence and celibacy, even in marriage. If it is good for a man not to touch a woman, Corinthians 7.1. Here's a question. Yeah. Why did God give them testicles if he didn't want them to have sex? Uh, I guess as some kind of temptation. Is it a test? I don't is know. It a test? 
So what's happening? Here's what's the thing. The point? Had Jesus been celibate, Paul would have certainly invoked him as an example of one arguing for celibacy, but he doesn't. Never once does Paul argue that Christians should be celibate because Jesus was celibate. Not once. If one looks at the Gospels without Addis colored Pauline glasses, there are many, many hints that Jesus was married. Specifically, after the crucifixion, the Gospels agree that it was Mary the Magdalene, which now they're calling her Mary the Magdalene because I guess she's the tower. Right. Who went early Sunday morning to wash and anoint Jesus' crucified body. People have the quaint idea that ancient Jews in Jerusalem went around anointing each other, but they didn't. What the Gospels are telling us is that Mary the Magdalene went to Jesus' tomb to prepare his body for burial. That's the Gospels, not me. Then and now, no woman would touch the naked body of a dead rabbi unless she was family. Jesus was whipped, beat, and crucified. No woman would wash the blood and sweat off his private parts unless she was his wife. Besides the canonical Gospels, there are so-called Gnostic Gospels. The Gnostics, or wisdom seekers, were an early branch of Christianity whose origins we don't know. What we do know is that they represent the losers in the Christian orthodoxy game. After the 4th century, the church burnt Gnostic holy books and the people who believed in them. So it's just like, you know, just burning people. It's always burning people. You know, constantly. As a result, until recently, we had almost no Gnostic Gospels to refer to. In 1947, in Nag Hammadi, Egypt, the Gnostics got their revenge. At that time, several of their Gospels were found hidden in jars. So this is the stuff that you were talking about. Yes. They all tell the same story. Jesus was married. More than this, for his Gnostic followers, Jesus' marriage and sexual activities was more important than his death and resurrection. Simply put, they were more interested in his passion in bed than his passion on the cross. Aha, very funny. So what does archaeology have to say about Mary and Jesus? So here's the, here's the tomb. In 1980, in Talpiot, just outside of Jerusalem, archaeologists discovered a 2,000-year-old burial tomb. In the tomb were 10 ossuaries, which means limestone coffins. Six of them were inscribed. One of them had the Hebrew uh, Aramaic name Jesus, son of Joseph, scratched on its side. Another Maria, yet another Jose, a nickname referred to in the Gospels as being one of Jesus' brothers. So again, they do mention Jesus had siblings in the in the Bible. Right, but those are like his, his half-siblings yeah. because his dad's God. Right. And a fourth ossuary was inscribed with the name Matthew, and a fifth, the only one in Greek, with the name Mariamine, which is the Greek version of Mary. Associated in all of Greek literature with one woman only, Mary the Magdalene. So this is literally like not just a Greek version of Mary. This is a Greek version of Mary the Magdalene. Right. The name. Even more disturbing for Pauline Christians, a sixth inscribed ossuary, apparently of a child, had the name Judah, son of Jesus, carved on it. So between 1980 and 1996, no archaeologist even reported the find. It took my 2007 documentary, The Last Tomb of Jesus, and my co-authored book, The Jesus Family Tomb, to propel the find onto the headlines. And what was the world's reaction? Again, nothing. In the spirit of the life of Brian, according to the scholarly consensus, the tomb must have belonged to another Jesus and two other Marys. After all, if you believe that Jesus is an Addis-type God, he can't have a coffin, certainly not a wife, and not a child that could have resulted from their sexual union. And this brings us to the Lost Gospel. It appears to be a 6th century Syriac Christian Aramaic text that is translation of an earlier Greek text, 4th or 2nd century. That Professor Barry Wilson and I believe preserves a first century tradition. The text in the rare manuscript section of the British Library for the past 160 years is ostensibly about the biblical Joseph of multicolored coat fame and his obscure wife, Azaneth. But in Syriac community from where this gospel emerged, Joseph was a stand-in for Jesus and Azaneth had many children by the crucified. Clearly, we are dealing with a very thinly encoded text concealing a gospel that would otherwise have been destined for the bonfire. So they're saying like, these are gospels that were written and written in code so that they wouldn't 
be burned and the people who wrote them burned at the stake, which is a thing that right. happened. You know, that's the thing that happens throughout history. It is. People really like burning things, including people. Burn, just stop burning people. So this article concludes with Pauline Christians can continue to have faith in a celibate savior who is divorced from his family, his people, and his times. But for me, the most important revelation in this long ignored manuscript has to do with a foil plot on Jesus and Mary the Magdalene's lives about 13 years before the crucifixion. If our historical sleuthing is correct, this text is a gospel before the gospels and we can finally return Jesus to the historical context from which Paul removed him. So yeah, basically saying that like, okay, Paul wanted everyone to be celibate, but if he so badly wanted this and didn't even mention that Jesus was celibate, then there's no fucking way that Jesus was celibate because it would have been talked about in his gospel the entire fucking time. He would have talked about Because from his place, being celibate was like, the thing. The thing to do. You cut off your balls, my dude. Yep. You gotta cut get rid off. of them. Just cut them off. <laughs> no one needs those. I love that. It used to be popular, but is but died out. It's like, gee, I wonder why. Yeah, because freaking no one was having kids. So Try having kids with your balls gone. There's another papyrus that has been dated that this woman has and like goes around and like shows it off. Okay. And it's Literally the gospel of Jesus's wife. All right. So this woman, her name is Karen King, presented this papyrus in September of 2012 at a conference in Rome. And never before had an ancient manuscript alluded to Jesus as being married, which is untrue. So this is the Atlantic talking about this. And I'm like, that's kind of untrue because they saw the stuff in the 1940s that had alluded to Jesus being married to Mary of Magdalene. Mm-hmm. Um, the papyrus's lines were incomplete. But they seem to describe a dialogue between Jesus and the apostles over whether his wife, possibly Mary Magdalene, was worthy of discipleship. Its main point, King argued, was that women who are wives and mothers can be Jesus' disciples. She thought the passage likely figured into an ancient debate over whether marriage or celibacy was the ideal mode of Christian life and ultimately whether a person could be both sexual and holy. This article goes on to describe how they did date the papyrus because a lot of people were saying it's a forgery. They dated the papyrus and they dated the the materials used in the writing and the it all stuff. it yeah. all checks out okay but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's not a forgery it's like they can date the papyrus but you can buy ancient papyruses like that are right. blank and you can buy ancient ink and stuff like yes. that doesn't necessarily mean it wasn't written recently um so the vatican still says it's a forgery uh they they give some like proof of to themselves that it's a forgery because they say it's copied off of something that was a text that was more recent Mm -hmm. uh and the wording is not like consistent with the wording that would have been used in ancient times right but at the same like so both sides have their own arguments i feel and interestingly that's how a lot of art forgery happens yes like a lot of um not ancient but older art forgery happens with people who just like get paints and stuff that are appropriate for the time period it's supposed to have come from and like buy really old canvases and that way when it's dated it's like oh this is from the 16th century it's like nah dude I painted that in my garage with old paint yep yep so the reason why I was saying that 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 my story kind of ties in with the whole like pope do you still be allowed to be married is and I kind of touched on this I think in our either in our conversation when we talked about it last week or in our conversation with Katie where it's like women used to be a lot better revered in Christianity and then there was a turning point mm-hmm. 
And that turning point, I believe, was not only just like cutting out of all of these texts that are like the majority of Jesus's life, which would have included Mary, his his mother, Mary, his wife, and possibly also his sisters Mm -hmm. to make it so that women are not as represented in the Bible. So it like took out all these gospels of his life because there were so many women in his life that were so prominent. Mary being one of them who was considered like the tower of faith and basically like a goddess. She's still a saint. So she's right. still like highly regarded, but it's this whole thing where there's a time period where basically they just tried to erase women from biblical history. And in doing so, erased literally 30 years of Jesus's life. Pretty much. Yeah. With the exception of like him at 12 years old with his family going to celebrate Passover. And then that's it. I feel like a lot of my conspiracies go back to just fucking stop ragging on women. You do tend to, you. I mean, like, not that it isn't a valid point to make. You do tend to seek out those kind of things where it's, like, just pointing out, like, hey, guys, women are away from this. And it's, like, it, it, and actually, I know it seems, like, weird, but I didn't set out to have that be the conclusion for this story. I just thought it would be really fun to talk about Mary Magdalene because I think she's a fascinating historical figure. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, like, as, like, I, I mostly wanted to talk to her as someone who's Jewish because the whole thing, like my proof was coming from the fact that as a Jewish man who became a rabbi in that time period, there's no way he wouldn't have been married with children. Right. And that's where I was coming at it initially. And then I found all this information that is like, yeah, all of this stuff that proved he was married to Mary and had um, had children was erased because the the Catholic Church, the Vatican wanted to erase women from the biblical history. Or they wanted to erase women who had any kind of or significant like, power yeah, or any kind of any woman who downplay wasn't seen, their importance. Yeah. Any woman who wasn't seen as some kind of sinner because they kept the anonymous prostitute. Mm-hmm. Although that, again, we talked about there's two versions of that text that are extremely different. Yes. Um, they they kept that. kind. They kept Jesus uh, saying he is with, who is without sin cast the first stone, which is another story that they attribute to that being Mary, which, again, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. So it's just like. And then Pope Gregory the First, in 500 AD, deciding or 500 591 AD, deciding that Mary was a prostitute, and then that sort of became for 1500 years that the narrative became the narrative. Yeah. yeah. So it's just really weird the way that they've erased Mary Magdalene from biblical history and downplayed her importance when it's like she. Like, even in the Bible, like, the stuff that was left in, you can see how important she was. She was present at the crucifixion, and she was the first person to see him after he rose from the tomb three days later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, they make they make a good point where it's like no other woman would be allowed to anoint his body after crucifixion other than his wife. Because it's so, it's such an intimate thing. Right. So, I mean, there's more I could talk about, but it's it's just a, it's a lot. There's a whole thing talking about unmarried Jewish men in the time of Jesus where it just it happened, but not very often. And it was and when it happened, it was seen as something that was too that was noteworthy, you know, right. like something to be. It was not about. the norm. So that was mentioned. Yeah. So if Jesus had not been married, it would have been mentioned. And that's that's the other right. thing. It's like I don't I've read parts of the Bible. And I think one of the things that surprised me is that. I just assumed that at some point in the Bible it said that Jesus was celibate and it's just like we have this proof that he wasn't. But it literally doesn't say anywhere in the Bible that he was celibate. It just the church presents it as fact when there is nothing behind it. 
there's a lot of stuff in a lot of religious texts where it's not actually in the source of the religious text. Like, it's not actually written anywhere that certain things happen. It's just the the cultural interpretation that we take as fact. Well, and I think another thing is that uh, when Pope Gregory came out and said, you know, Mary of Magdalene was a prostitute and blah, 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 and you should be celibate, it's also a control thing. Yeah. You you control people's feelings on sex and then you control like you control a portion of a lot of people's lives and you you cause them to feel guilty about completely normal, you know, bodily functions and desires. And that's how you get Catholicism. Yeah, and that's how you get Catholicism and Catholic guilt. So what is the takeaway from this, Chelsea? The takeaway from this is if there's like a weird missing part of a history don't just like be like ah, it's just not there be like where the fuck is this and maybe look into where the fuck why? is this yeah also, and why why is it gone yeah yeah and like, this is usually yeah. usually things are not included for a reason exactly maybe the reason's just like oh we didn't think it was important but maybe the reason is like there's an ulterior motive and i think especially the whole story about paul is fucking bananas and that is something I, I had, had never no idea heard about of. that. Yeah. yeah and that's, that's super weird. Super weird. And also, I feel like super important information to know in context of the Bible and of his gospel. Historical context. Because it's like, guys, my Christian friends, my Christian and Catholic friends and family, um, the reason that celibacy is so revered in your religion is because of a guy named Paul who thought that you should cut off your testicles. Because but not just that. But to present them to your wife. Okay. It does say, to be fair, Paul never mentioned to actually cut off testicles, but he was still a very big advocate of celibacy because of the environment he grew up in, guys. The environment no, he grew up in was... Present them to your wife. It's yes. the best anniversary present you can give her. It's the best wedding night present you can give her, apparently. Don't actually do that. That's Please terrible. don't do that. No one wants that. No one wants that. And it's like, it goes into... So there's this article that was going around a while ago that we kind of pass around to each other in jest. Um, I don't, I still don't know if it's true or not because it's one of those things where it's like been passed around so many times you don't know if it originated from The Onion or for some legitimate newspaper. But apparently, like this couple who says that they were celibate before they married and have stayed celibate after they got married. Mm-hmm. Because if you're celibate before marriage is holy, then being celibate after marriage must be extra holy. And at the time, it's like you laugh at it, but apparently according to Paul, that is actually true. That tracks. And the, re- sense. Yeah, and the reason this was passed around is because it's like when they start to get, you know, thoughts, then the woman goes and takes a cold shower and the man eats a whole raw potato. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like it's from The Onion. It does. But like the whole notion of like being celibate after marriage, like you laugh at it. But apparently, according to Paul, that was an actual thing that was supposed to be extra holy. Well, no, I'm not surprised about that. No, I know. I know. The whole raw potato thing, though. <laughs> yes. Um. But and that was also surprising to me. And basically just kind of it all comes down to the fact that Paul grew up in a fucking nuts area. Like maybe don't listen to the guy who grew up around people who thought cutting off their own testicles was a good idea. (laughs) Listen, it was it was way back in the day. Things were crazy. This is like to what? 2000 years ago or something. Over 2000. Crap was crap was crazy back then. Crap was crazy. That is true. But it's just like nobody knew what was going on. Maybe. Maybe don't listen to the guy. I mean, granted, again, he didn't necessarily advocate for cutting off of your testicles and castrating. Or, or, or he didn't advocate for castrating yourself. But still, maybe the guy who grew up around people who did think that castrating yourself was a good idea. Maybe, like, don't give him as much credence. 
Like, take a grain of salt. Like, listen to him and be like, all right, let's see if we can temper Paul's suggestions with something a little less extreme. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, just context. Context is important, guys. Historical context. Historical. I've been saying it since day one. I know. Historical context is important. And in this case, the historical context being Paul grew up in a fucking crazy country. But also, Jesus was a rabbi. But also, Jesus was a rabbi. And historically, that meant he was married with children. Yes. And had he not been married with children, that would have been noted. Or if it was, they erased it for some reason. Well, yeah, and that's the other thing. It's like, and that doesn't make sense. What's more likely that they would have erased the fact that he was married with children or the fact that he was celibate? Think about how the church is now. What's more likely culprit of erasure? Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Well, that's the story of Mary Magdalene and how she was definitely married to Jesus. That's what we got. Yeah. That's this has been got. a very interesting roller coaster of emotions. Yeah, it's gone from crazy religion to not so crazy religion. Ra- to wrap things up, we do have a follow up email, which you should read. Okay, <laughs> which is from the Holy Carota, mm-hmm. the Holy we Carrot. Asked- the Holy Carrot. Yes, we asked for uh, last podcast when we read the Holy Carotas. Uh, apparently, started a cult. We asked for like what? Please give us more info. Yes. And they did. Yep. Here we go. Uh, hello. You asked for more info, so here it goes. It actually all started with a joke from me and one of my friends that if I ever ran a cult, it would eventually end rather it would eventually when it eventually ended, rather than it end with a mass suicide, I would end it with a massive suicide silence concert. What? Uh, then it uh like one Oh, of those, massive like, suicide is a band, aren't they? I no. Okay. I don't think so. You know how, like, there's those day of silence things? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I yeah. think that's what it is. Or, like, a, a silent disco? I, that's a very different thing. It is a very different thing. That is an enti- a very different thing concert. from what I was suggesting. They said yeah. concert. Like a benefit concert. Yeah. Um, uh, anyway, just go on. Okay. Then it hit me. I'll start a cult. So I contacted a few friends to discuss ideas, and we eventually landed on our current belief system. We use Mother Nature as a symbolic figure to represent more natural and less processed food for people to eat healthier. Uh, So we pass out carrots and talk to people about healthy eating so they're open to listening. We have our particular fondness for carrots for a couple of reasons. One, it's a remnant of a prior belief idea where we would throw carrots at people and tell them to repent. Repent for what and uh, to what was never decided. (laughs) What? (laughs) Just throwing carrots at people. All right, sure. Two, they're very vers- a very versatile veggie that can be either incorporated into a full meal or alone as a snack. Yeah, but you gotta and eat them with like copious amounts of ranch dressing. Then you that's... eat everything with copious amounts of I ranch eat dressing. Everything. You would drink ranch dressing raw out of a bottle. I would not do could. that. That's gross. Sure, Chelsea. I wouldn't. I've never done that. And three, it's funny. Yeah, that's fair. We'll soon have social media accounts, and I'll keep you updated so that uh, on that, since we just started the group in the past few weeks. We unfortunately do not have any pamphlets or flyers to send you, but I'll send you some once we do. Thank you. And I want to say this now because you were concerned about it on the podcast. I do not and never have, nor will I ever condone the assault of anyone in the name of my cult. Also, you weren't sure whether or not you can use my name, but feel free to uh, to talk about any information I gave in any correspondence, past or future, unless otherwise stated but I'm not sure what I would say that would need that. Just like, don't uh, don't poison anyone and send us your manifesto, please. They literally said they're not condoning violence. I know, but I'm saying like... Other than throwing carrots at people. <laughs> I mean, do that. That's funny. That's kind of funny. Baby carrots. Yeah. 
you can throw a baby carrot to people and tell them to repent. That's kind of funny. Yeah, that's kind of funny. If you have any more questions, feel free to ask, and I'll follow up when I can. Have a great week. Signed, B. Thorpe, the Holy Karoka. So, yeah, that's that's more information about the cult that got started. I'm going to go throw carrots at my little brother now. Well, not now, because okay. he's not here. But next time I see him. All right. Yeah. Well, listeners, thank you for joining us on this surprisingly religious and weird ride today how do do we keep accidentally theming together it's just listen conspiracy theorists have very few subjects last week was only really weird theme there's only so many things that you can do a conspiracy on and most of them are religion based that's true but like this is like i was talking about jesus and then you were talking about the second coming of jesus like yeah it all comes together it all comes together Kind of. I mean, this is in a way. This, this isn't nearly as related as last week. Last week was fucking no. weird. How really? Last that week was. was a very narrow scope. It was France in the 1670s, and that scared me. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah, but no, this is this is just like people getting religion wrong. Yep. All yep. throughout time and space. Yep. So yes. Also, also thank Mary you. Mary Magdalene's holiday is July 22nd, and you should all celebrate it. I don't know how, but I think we should do something. <laughs> Oh, man. All right, listeners, thank you very much for listening. Um, If you are starting your own cult or if you have corrections to be made about religion or what have you, you could email them to us at cultscriptedconspiracies at gmail.com. I'm greatly looking forward to especially Katie giving us a long email about everything I got wrong. She's not going to email us. She's just going to message us. We're going to get 87 Facebook messages in a row. From Katie. My phone is literally going to destroy itself by vib- vibrations of her trying to correct us. So, about like, stuff. Katie, Katie, I love you. It's okay. <laughs> Mary Magdalene was Jesus' wife. Accept <laughs> it. Uh, you also, if you just want to tell us about a fun story from your childhood or your parents' childhoods, uh, preferably something weird. We don't, we, we care about you going to the zoo with your family, but it's not really in the scope of this podcast. Unless uh, one of those zoo animals starts talking to you in the voice of God. We or definitely want to hear about that. Cryptid. Yeah. If you go to a cryptid zoo. Please tell us about your cryptid zoos. Please super tell us those us stories. Yeah. Or if you just have like a short little thing that you want to do like a recommendation, you can tweet us at C3 Podcast. We're also available on Facebook at slash Colt Cryptids Conspiracies. Mm-hmm. Um, where you can rate our podcast like Zach did last week. Thank or you, Zach. you can thank you, Zach. Or you can message us more corrections or recommendations or whatever Funny stuff. fun thing you're feeling. Just like memes. Yeah. We, like we memes. get we get memes. We get memes. If sometimes. Ethan wants to make more memes for us, I would not <laughs> say no. Chelsea lives for the memes. I live for the memes. I send memes to Christina all the time. You do. Yeah. It's very true. It's how I respond sometimes to what you say to me. I'll just send you like a gift meme. <laughs> And you know what I'm so, talking about. I do. I understand. It's modern day hieroglyphics. We all understand. Yep. So please like, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Um, or you can like unearth scrolls that talk about how when Jesus was in his early 20s, he too started a podcast about weird stuff. But sure. the Vatican erased it because they wanted to remove podcasts from the biblical narrative. Can you imagine if Jesus were alive today? Like he'd totally have a college radio show. He super would. Yeah. Or if you want to be incorporate, chill. if you want to incorporate uh, our podcast into Project Bluebeam somehow, it wouldn't be hard to do. Feel free. If you want to beam our podcast into people's minds, go ahead. Yeah. If you want to use the microchips implanted in every wild animal on the planet to beam our podcast into people's brains, do it. Yeah, we give you full permission, NASA. Hell yeah. Also hire me. Um. <laughs> also anyway, hire Christina. 
Awesome. Hire me. Uh, that's it for this week. Yep. Uh, I got nothing for your. Thank you for your tale. Thank, thank you for your story, even though I have more questions than answers. There will never be answers. When it comes to Project Blue Moon, you know, I don't think there will ever be answers. There will never be answers. Um, but I guess thanks anyway, even though, again, like I said, my brain was just like rejecting everything you were saying. <laughs> and I was just playing episodes of Doctor Who in my head now. That's Does fair. that ever happen to you? Yeah, but it's usually not Doctor Who. It's usually like the Battle Hymn of the Republic just playing on loop. That makes sense. Yeah. I guess sometimes I do Star Wars. I was thinking a lot. All right. About... Well, anyway. I'll see you next week, Chelsea. Okay. Bye, Christina. Bye, Chelsea. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.